I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joe Manis is prepping for veto session today, so I'm here solo to bring you a special edition of our show. Today is September 14th, 2015, and this is the day that the Ferguson Commission report was publicly released. It's an unvarnished look at a racially divided region where African Americans are underserved and discriminated against in many spheres of influence. And I decided in a snap decision to bring you my conversation with commission co-chairs Starsky Wilson and Rich McClure. I recorded an interview at the Deaconess Foundation in downtown St. Louis, and I felt that the conversation was powerful enough to bring to our tens and tens of listeners. On the show, we talked about the commission's overarching themes, some of the specific proposals, and the prospects for real change. I started by asking Wilson what he felt a racially just St. Louis would look like, and here's what he had to say about that. If I had to say uh, what a more uh, racially just or equitable St. Louis looks like, uh, then it would look like some of the tables that we've seen come together uh, around some of these critical issues over the course of the last 10 months uh, with folks who are activists, uh, folks who live in the city, folks who live in the county, having serious conversations and getting to know one another uh, over a continuum of discussions about really serious issues with an outcome and a product in mind that we build relationship as we do work together. So I think it looks uh, like that kind of collaborative participation. Um, I think there are indicators, though, that are also spoken to in the printed report, on the online report, uh, and that is uh, lower gaps in life expectancy uh, based on what neighborhood we live in, where we find that in one case that's an 18-year life expectancy gap, and in another case it's 40 years. Um, so I think uh, there are some indicators uh, of that equity that we can measure um, like life expectancy and health outcomes uh, um, in as much as there are glimpses that we've gotten throughout this process of these diverse tables and great conversations, even though trying at times, uh, about real work that we can do together. I would say it's very important for our region to focus on um, some very fundamental underlying issues here. Uh, Starsky and I actually started um, our work together working on education equity. Uh, and that's where we began to understand together how each other thinks and how our region needs to address issues of clear um, challenges in our education system where educational outcomes are different uh, for folks based on the zip code and the school district and where that they attend. So we as a region have to address these core underlying issues in order to achieve racial justice. I think economic equity and economic mobility is another area where uh, equality of, of job opportunities and training and educational and job preparation so that there is opportunity for folks to move up uh, and for the next generation to have a greater opportunity than the last generation had. And I think under the lens of racial equity that we've suggested be applied to public policy, our hope and our um, aspiration 
is that uh, policymakers, civic leaders, community leaders, folks on the ground will begin to ask the question, how will this particular policy or program or investment improve racial equity as a way in which we as a region can show that we really are serious about making changes? Rich, you come from the corporate world. I don't know if you're still mired in the corporate world right now or whether you're, you've retired. I'm not. You're, you're not. Do you think that the, the corporate community in St. Louis, based on some of the recommendations, kind of need to change their philosophy on how they kind of invest in the, the region's poorer communities and, and try to hit at some of these divides more directly that are in this report? What, basically, what responsibility do you think that the corporate community in St. Louis has to deal with some of these problems head on and help be a part of the solution? I think our region and the corporate community in our region, the philanthropic community in our region has incredible capacity. Uh, we've been nationally recognized for that capacity. And that's one of the encouraging dynamics about our region is that we have this capacity. Our challenge and our opportunity is to leverage that capacity in order to be able to address even more aggressively some of these core underlying issues. And I do think corporate St. Louis, as witnessed um, by a bit of the change in philosophy over the last year, is, is shifting their approach and thinking more carefully and thoughtfully about these. And I, we, we've seen some scenes that they're beginning to think collectively about how they can have impact uh, together as opposed to, uh, to individual projects or individual investments. And so there's much work to do, and that's really the, the message of the report, is there's a great deal of work to do here. Uh, there, this is a long-term process, uh, but that with the right approach and the right investments and thinking carefully about how you invest in policy as well as programs in order to get the right structure and framework in place, that we can make progress. I want to talk about one of the recommendations that um, I think struck at me about the bringing in the state attorney general to investigate police-involved killings. I was actually talking with St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCullough, who obviously gained a lot of national prominence or infamy, depending on who you, who you are, uh, for handling the Michael Brown case. He thinks that the proposal, whether it's the attorney general or an adjoining prosecutor, is just a misguided and, and in his view, an undemocratic idea, because in his view, prosecutors are elected to handle cases like this. What was kind of going through the commission's mind when they had that as a signature item? And do you expect pushback not only from Mr. McCullough, but other prosecutors who maybe would take a similar philosophy that they feel it's their part of their responsibility to prosecute or not prosecute these police-involved killings? Yeah, so what was going through um, the minds of those who helped to craft that and that came out of um, the, uh, the group on uh, municipal courts uh, and governance um, was that we have to be thoughtful about the perception uh, of conflicts of interest. Uh, and so here, it wasn't a critique of any particular individual or suggestion that uh, folks uh, can't or won't do their jobs. It's to say that for the sake of public trust and uh, sustaining the relationships uh, of community members and trust in their governance, uh, that it may be helpful in these cases um, to have someone else uh, to prosecute these cases. We, we and, and to investigate on the other side, um, that police-involved shootings shouldn't be investigated by um, the local department, but actually there should be some distance for the sake of perspective, uh, having the uh, Missouri Highway Patrol, Patrol to take over um, that uh, investigation. Uh, in both of those instances, what was core was people being thoughtful about trust and governance, 
uh, and a focus on uh, relationships between local officials and the local community, uh, and ultimately uh, some accountability uh, in uh, in that relationship. And so I I think um, uh, while I hear his view, and there are people of different uh, views on this particular topic, uh, we do believe that uh, that that distance uh, perspective uh, and impartiality. Um, that would come from that kind of arrangement uh, allows for greater public trust. He brought up the idea that maybe he would be elected attorney general or somebody who is very pro-police per se would be elected attorney general. And then if they were mandated to investigate or decide whether to prosecute some of these killings, you know, the, the conflict would still be there. Did that come up in any of the discussions about making the attorney general the person who would be in charge? as terms of the special prosecutor? Well, a couple of thoughts here. First of all, this recommendation was developed by a special advisory group that the Citizen Law Enforcement uh, Task Force, chaired by former Chief Dan Isom and Brittany Packnett. And they asked a group of former U.S. attorneys and assistant U.S. attorneys to uh, do the research, to do the hard work uh, because of their experience as prosecutors. And so they came and in public open meeting with the Citizen Law Enforcement Task Force made their recommendation and the task force unanimously and I believe the commission unanimously adopted that recommendation. So this wasn't created um, by the commission. It was created by some folks who have been in that space and understand it. And what they said is that you, the most important thing is to have to protect the appearance of, just not to even have any of the appearance of impropriety. And so it doesn't speak to an elected prosecutor or not. It just says the attorney general, who is an elected official, uh, should have that responsibility. And I would say in response to the question of this undemocratic to do that, well, with the elected attorney general, that is a democratically elected official, and the people elect who, who they elect. But I would point out that, that the attorney general, by virtue of the office and the powers of the office, that's what he or she does is they frequently appoint special prosecutors in cases in particular counties. And so this is not a, a foreign process to them, and it's one that's very established for a number of years. Secondly, I would point out that the, the working group and the commission adopted an interim suggestion that there be a court-appointed special prosecutor, uh, which can happen now. Uh, courts can step in and do that, and we would suggest that in the absence of legislation or, or other authority, that that's a way to proceed down this road. So I think this is important to say what we're, what we're working to do here is to provide a credible, thoughtful, impartial, independent investigation. It's not to say that that cannot ever happen locally, but we just think it's best just to have the default that that's what happens every time so there's never a question. As far as um, fragmentation, because we talked about that a little bit at the end of the last meeting. I noticed that there's consolidation of police departments, a consolidation of municipal courts. Was there any reason why consolidation of municipalities was not included in the signature item? Why police departments and municipal courts, but not just cities in general? Well, police departments and municipal courts were, uh, well, police community relations and municipal courts was spoken to specifically uh, in, um, in the stated areas of work of the uh, executive order 1415 that created the commission. Uh, and these are things that we saw um, are directly connected, of course, um, to how people are affected on the ground. 
Uh, and so we thought it appropriate to work in these spaces. We see um, racial disparity and we see kind of racialized systems that are set up uh, in order to create these. And so um, we, we think that these areas are closer to our scope of work uh, and are directly connected to the issues under justice for all. The, the question of municipalities uh, is a tangential question, not a central question uh, to, uh, to the work that we've done. You know, another big aspect of this is education making sure that there's health and mental health centers at schools, making sure there's early childhood education programs available for people. Why do you feel like that was an important emphasis here? I mean, it's kind of self-evident given if you look at the, the lay of the land in St. Louis as far as the educational infrastructure, there's pretty massive and now nationally renowned problems in that. But what would you kind of like to see in that sphere that would make that infrastructure better I think first and foremost, it's got to be a commitment to the entire child and the well-being of the development of young people uh, at appropriate stages that we're seeing the kind of developmental outcomes um, that are uh, right for their stage or age. Uh, saying that means we've got to measure uh, something other uh, than test scores and grades. Um, so this commitment that you see around health centers, this commitment that you see around support services, and the commitment to an infrastructure that seeks to align our educational, uh, our youth, and our health investments uh, is this question to say that young people are more than just grades. Uh, they are uh, people. And so I think that kind of commitment is something that uh, we would like to see. And if we can see that for each child, then we'll see outcomes change for all children. Um, we have called for here also uh, some study of how the uh, funding of education happens in our region. Uh, this is something that requires uh, greater study, uh, but um, the fact that we've had two different sets of recommendations around uh, the transfer bill, which was debated while we were in this conversation um, over the course of the last 10 months when we laid out a vision for the transfer bill, it didn't rec those recommendations weren't taken into uh, consideration in the legislation, and then we asked uh, the governor to veto it, and he ultimately did, uh, speaks to the fact that we are tinkering around these issues. Uh, we're not being transformational uh, as we consider our children. And so uh, as we think about the whole child, we think about hunger, we think about health, uh, we believe that's the kind of view that has to be taken to children and their commitment to and development uh, over their life course. Um, we'd like to see more of that in public policy. Similar question to you, like, what do you think needs to be done in the educational realm to really transform this region into something that it's not now? Because I don't want to be opinionated here, but it doesn't seem like what's there is working right now for the region. What do you think needs to be done in this report that you think would make things at least a little bit better, if not a whole lot better? Well, our aspiration has to be for every student in this region to get a great education. And that's, we need to start with that as the North Star, and then we need to, to be working methodically through that, including great preparation for school, as, as Starsky has alluded to. Uh, we know that if a child is reading at grade level by third grade and that we pay attention to them in the early childhood years, that we have greater chance that they will get to and through um, high school and have uh, opportunities beyond, potentially. We know that in schools that great transformational school leaders and great teachers supported by a school culture that supports their work and gives them the freedom to do their work, supported by a governance structure uh, that is appropriate and inclusive and involves uh, local leadership and is resourced to reflect the fact in some of our high poverty school districts, substantial number of students by some estimates in some of the, the more challenged districts, one in five, don't have a permanent address 
And so they have this difficulty of, of how do they have uh, the home support to be, able to, to be able to perform in school and recognizing that that takes more resources to support children like that. It takes more resources to have the kind of intensive educational experience that will be able to keep students from those environments um, on track for a great educational experience, I think, is key to our region. So I think we, we do have to have a more systemic approach to that. Um, there are some great examples um, of programs that work, uh, but those examples have to be scaled and we have to be able to take our, our, our public schools and be able to say to them, here are the tools to be able to really help kids get a great education. When I went to a press conference with the governor last week and I asked him kind of about the prognosis for some of these things, and I'm well aware it's not just the state legislature who's the accountable body, but for many of these, it is. Um, he says he's going to use his last months in office to push for some of these changes, and I'm sure that some of them may be through executive order as well. But subtext of that is the governor's only in office, I think, for another 16 months, and there's going to be at least five or six Republicans who are running for governor, and there's at least one major Democrat. Um, and it seems to me that these issues are going to take longer than 16 months to iron out, not only legislatively, but as a region. I've heard generational change. So what message would you have not only for the governor, but for people who want to be governor about this report that you want to extol that it needs to be taken seriously and that in 2017-18 the work needs to continue, especially if 2016 is not going to accomplish a lot of these things? The message to all elected officials, it seems to me, uh, is that the citizens of the St. Louis region have come together, uh, nearly 2,000 of them, uh, and given, uh, given significant attention to critical issues um, that ultimately they're going to hold elected officials, elected officials accountable for, uh, that the issues that are found in this report uh, are community issues. They are the people's voices coming together, um, asking them to act. Uh, and over the course of the next year, 16 months, um, they're going to be asking them about these kinds of issues. To uh, the governor specifically, uh, I will say what I have said, um, that there may be things that he planned on doing with the remainder of his tenure um, that he should do and other things that, that he planned on doing. And then there are some things that, through this report, through the events of August 9th, have found him and perhaps he should do differently um, because of these events that have um, garnered the nation's attention in the state uh, where he has responsibility. Uh, and then specifically, I would say to anyone who's running for office that um, they should be talking about these issues and the, to the citizens who are considering who they're going to elect to serve them. Um, when we go to the polls next November, um, that they should vet those folks through, the, through these issues that they and their fellow citizens have articulated uh, as solutions. Um, so they should be asking people uh, about the things in this report and seeing whether they're aligned so that they can hold them accountable. Similar question to you. Do you feel like the people that want to be governor are going to take these recommendations to heart? Or is there some fear that they may take, I don't want to say an opposite tact, but given how popular it is to say you're pro-law enforcement and pro-police, they may downplay some of that and, and try to, you know, paper over some of these issues, which is explicitly what you said in the beginning that you didn't want to do as far as race and as far as 
the division between law enforcement and African Americans. I think it would be first important to note that for statewide elected officials or candidates that um, many of these underlying issues are not just urban issues. Uh, if you look at infant mortality statistics for our state, you see a number of counties that uh, are well above the state and national average, and some approach uh, the averages in some of our most challenged areas. If you look at high school graduation rates in some of our outstate school districts, you see challenging uh, educational outcome data. If you look at the question of uh, poverty, and poverty rates. You see concentrations of poverty in uh, some of our outstate uh, counties as well. So I think as folks understand that problems and challenges we've identified and some of the calls and solutions we've identified apply not just here and in other urban areas in our state, but they apply statewide. And secondly, statewide elected officials are um, elected to represent all of the people of the state. And to the extent that uh, some things are working for some of our citizens but not working for all of our citizens, then that's something uh, that every elected official has an obligation uh, to pay attention to. My final question for you is kind of an open-ended one, but I think it's the, the, the key here. What makes both of you think that St. Louis can change the way it is and transform or at least move in the direction to where it is not as racially divided and not as fragmented and disjointed that it is now. St. Louis is not a thing. Uh, it's a collection of people, about 2.8 million. In August 9th and the days following, the people of St. Louis said something gotta be different, led by young people people from all geographies throughout this region, people from every zip code, said that we've got to change. Uh, and we've seen some responses to that. I would suggest not enough. And how we do business together is determined by public policy. And so my trust and my hope is really that the people of St. Louis have already said we need to make a change. Uh, and those who serve them in elective office and civic leadership roles have got to follow. So that's where I put my hope and my trust. I think the most common response we hear all across our region, both at our meetings and as we've been out in the community and we go the places we, we go, is people ask, what can I do? What should I know? What should I understand? And then what can I do? Well, there are plenty of answers to those questions in this report. And folks can get in uh, and investigate and learn where they are interested and they don't have to agree with everything in the report, but they can. there's more than enough work here to do for everyone. And I think when folks engage, even if they haven't been, the fact that those kinds of questions are being asked now with more frequency and, and at, at very different levels of intensity as a result of these times, that this is a unique moment in the journey in St. Louis, and that that pressure will yield uh, changes in policy and it will yield a new awareness and a new willingness to engage in real things that make a difference in racial healing and reconciliation. That's it for our show this week. You can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. I believe I spelled that right. And you can follow the Ferguson Commission at STL Change. Thank you very much as always, and until next week, so long. Oh.
Oh, oh, oh.